Please stand for the reading of God's word. Exodus 6, 1 through 13. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them to the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God." And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. This is the word of God. Good morning, family of God. Well, one of the themes we're going to discuss today is the importance of learning to hear and receive God's word rightly, to hear the God, the word of God with faith. So before we get started, I just want to take a moment to pray and ask for God's help. I don't know about you, but I get distracted a lot. My attention gets scattered out in a thousand different directions, so I just want to ask God to help us gather up our attention, fix our eyes on Jesus, and hear his word with faith today. Sound like a plan to you? Let's bow our heads. Why don't you just take a moment to pray where you are, and then I'll lead us in a prayer. Our Lord, we trust you this morning. We love you this morning. Our confession is that you are good and faithful and kind and forgiving and worthy of praise. And as we have just sung, now we say again in our prayer, we need you. And in this moment, we need you to help us hear your word with attention, with understanding, with faith. We ask for the ministry of your Holy Spirit to help us to understand and remember and believe and be transformed. By this, your word in Christ's name. Amen. Well, back in Exodus chapter four, verse 20, Moses finally surrendered to the purpose of God for his life. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this verse. I'll just read it to you again. Exodus 420 says, so Moses took his wife 
and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. So God has called Moses to himself. God has consecrated Moses to himself. God has commissioned Moses to be his instrument of redemption, to go bring the people out of their slavery. Moses argued with God for a long time, and then finally Moses yielded. Moses surrendered. And this act in chapter 4, verse 20, was the beginning of what we have called the adventure of obedience. After some initially encouraging circumstances, things have now taken a very discouraging turn. We talked about this. In the Christian life, if we're going to follow after Jesus Christ, there's going to be really up days, encouraging days, days when we're doing well, when we have joy and faith and hope, when circumstances are going well, and then there's going to be down days. Lots of up days, lots of down days, but God is going to be faithful and God is going to be gracious throughout them all. Now, in the life of Moses and in the life of Israel, this is a down day. To understand what's happening in chapter 6, you got to remember what Chauncey preached to us about last week from chapter 5. You see, Moses obeyed God, and he went to Pharaoh and says, Thus says the Lord, let my people go to worship me. And Pharaoh did not listen to the word of God. Pharaoh said no. And not only did Pharaoh say no, but Pharaoh got mad. And Pharaoh made life harder than it already was for the people of Israel. You're still going to be my slaves, but now you got to make your own bricks. You're not going to get the straw. Their their workload got doubled and increased. The pain of the people just doubled. Moses obeys God, and then all of a sudden, everything got worse. And when everything got worse for the people, the people got discouraged, and then they turned on Moses. By the way, here's a little side lesson. If you're going to be a spiritual leader, people are going to be mad at you. People you're trying to help. People you're discipling, you're mentoring, people you're pouring into, they're going to criticize you because they're going to take all their frustrations about life, their frustration towards God, their frustration towards themselves and one another, and they're going to project it on you. So just get used to it. But that's what happened to Moses. And Moses, at the end of chapter five, is not having a good attitude, but he models for us what to do with a bad attitude. If you got a bad attitude and you're struggling with unbelief and discouragement and doubt, just bring it to God. That's what several of us might have done this morning. You came here with an un, with a bad attitude, but at least you brought it to God, right? Applying last week's sermon. Good job, team. All right. Let, let's read the last two verses of chapter 5. Moses gets discouraged. He gets frustrated. And he pours out his frustration to God in prayer. Don't get me wrong. It would be better if Moses had a better attitude. But at least he brought it to God. And here's what he says. Oh, Lord. Why have you done evil to this people? That sounds a little bit like an accusation, doesn't it? Why did you ever send me? There's the same doubt of self and doubt of God that we've seen from Moses coming up again. Why did you send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. Moses is frustrated. Moses is discouraged. But the reason that the title for my sermon today is Grace in the Midst of Discouragement is because chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, is just God pouring out gracious words of encouragement for Moses and the people. 
We get discouraged. Our circumstances change. Our emotions change. But God does not change. And his grace does not fail during difficult times. Now, your neighbor, I can already, you don't even have to ask your neighbor if they're struggling because everybody's struggling in here, right? Life's hard. So let's just assume that a lot of us are discouraged or if we're not now, we will be probably within a few hours. And what we need to hear about is the grace. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, God has grace for you. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, God is just pouring out grace. He's pouring out encouragement. Thank God that we have a God of grace who encourages us. And I pray that God will help us to be like this, that we will be gracious people who are overflow with this kind of encouragement. In a minute, we're going to take some time to soak in these words of encouragement from the first eight verses. But I want to start by pointing out that the attitude of God's people does not get fixed in this text. They're still struggling. God doesn't give up on them. He's patient with them. He keeps teaching them. He's going to encourage them. He's going to deliver them. He's going to rebuke them. He's going to discipline them, but he will not give up on them. But in this text, this is a sober word. Listen to this. They could have drawn drawn great strength from these words of encouragement and grace. But actually, in this text, they fail to do so because they are hearing God's word in the wrong way. Now, that can be a warning to us. Before we move forward, I want to look at how the people of Israel respond to God's word of grace and how Moses responds to the word of grace. And they both respond badly. They're negative examples. But God put these verses in the scripture to teach us a lesson. So we're going to learn from the negative example here. First, let's take a moment to reflect on how the people of Israel respond to God's word of grace. Look with me at verse 9. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel. And the thus here is referring back to all the encouraging stuff that God just told Moses to say. Moses goes to the people and says, God loves you. God is powerful. God will deliver you. God will rescue you. God's going to defeat evil. He's going to keep his covenant. He's going to keep his promises. He says all this good stuff to them. But verse 9 says, they did not listen to Moses. They didn't listen to Moses. Moses was just the messenger. These were really the words of God. They're not receiving the words of the Lord through his very flawed servant. Why? Because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. I feel like these are important verses for us to think about. Moses spoke words of encouragement. He spoke gospel truth. He spoke words of grace and promise to the people. But they did not listen to the servant of the Lord. They didn't listen to the word of God. Why? Because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. They have been wounded. They have been hurt. And their pain has had an effect on them of producing a certain amount of bitterness That makes it hard for them to hear God's word of grace. Prosperity in our sinful condition can make it hard for us to hear God's word of grace because we have a sinful self-reliance. Think about Jesus' encounter with a rich young ruler. But poverty can also make it hard. Basically, sin makes it hard for us to hear the word of God, no matter what our condition. And we need God's grace to help us hear the word of God's grace. But in this case, their pain and their discouragement has had an accumulative effect 
such that right now they are bitter, they are frustrated, and they would rather lick their wounds in a dark corner than hear the word that would heal them. Now, there's at least two lessons that I think we need to hear in this text. I'm going to save the deeper lesson for a second. Here's the first lesson. In your life, you're going to minister to people. Now, you're going to tell them words of grace, and you're going to speak truth to them, and you're going to love them. If you're a follower of Christ, you're called to minister to others, right? And you're going to minister to people, and sometimes you're going to tell them true stuff, and they're not going to listen to you. And one of the reasons they might not listen to you is that they're just hurting. And their spirit has become broken, and they become bitter. And especially if you're ministering in a tough neighborhood where there's familial brokenness, and there's poverty, and there's all kinds of stuff going on. There's going to be people whose life circumstances has produced this accumulated bitterness, which makes it hard for them to hear God's word. And what are you going to do in that time? Well, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Pray for them and show them the same grace and patience that God shows the people of Israel in this story. Don't give up. Don't give up. Show them the same grace and patience that God shows the people of Israel and the same grace and patience that God shows us. And that leads leads me to the second lesson I think we need to draw from this. Some of us, I think, in this room probably need to do some business with God about the fact that our own pain in our lives has put us in a frame of mind in which we have sinfully closed ourselves off to God's word of grace that would heal us. This is a hard word, but I want you to just listen and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you this morning. The pain that you've gone through is not sin. The hurt that you've experienced is not your fault. But we have to decide what we're going to do with the pain and with the circumstances that we're given. God will be patient and gracious with you, right? Anybody ever came to church with a bad attitude and didn't hear nothing and God still loved you? God's love never fails. His grace never fails. But we can put ourselves in a condition where I get bitter. I get mad at God. I get mad at people. I get mad at myself. And I'm just wallowing in my frustration And my bitterness, and I'm using the first person not for rhetorical effect, it's from personal experience. I've been there. I'm frustrated, I'm angry, and so it's like I'm hearing the word of God, but I'm not hearing it. Because my mind is going with a whole bunch of other things. I'm frustrated at other people, but really I'm just projecting out my frustration with myself and with God. Here's a warning and an encouragement for us in that situation. The warning is that if we allow bitterness to fester and grow in our hearts, we can really close our ears to God's word in a way that cuts us off from the very healing grace that would restore and redeem us in our pain. That's the warning. And and here's the thing. If we allow God's or if, if we allow our bitterness To grow in such a way that we refuse to hear and receive the word of God. We get discouraged. We get frustrated. We're unable to receive God's word of grace. And that's where that little cliche comes through that hurt people hurt people. See, 
The fact that I've been through pain and you've been through pain doesn't mean that has to define the rest of our lives. We can open ourselves to let God grace, God's grace heal us and redeem our wounds. But if we shut off God's grace, if we close our ears to the word that would heal us because we'd rather be bitter, then we, in our frustration, will end up discouraging other people, which is exactly what happens in this story. In a minute, when we get to verse 12, we're going to see that the, the fact that these people were so discouraged caused them to act in ways that were discouraging to one another and to Moses. So just like we could warn that, hey, you need to be careful that your pain doesn't lead you to hurt others. We could just make a general observation. Have you have you noticed that when you're discouraged, you're not very encouraging to others? But when you've opened your heart so that God's grace could touch you, it doesn't mean your circumstances are going well. It just means you've trusted in God's word of grace and drawn strength from him, even in the midst of your pain, that now there's a capacity to encourage others. Discouraged people discourage people. Encouraged people encourage people. So the warning here is do not let your bitterness rob you from the word of healing grace that God wants to give to you. But here's the encouragement. The encouragement, friends, is that God's grace is sufficient to take away your bitterness, to heal your wounds, to redeem your pain, to open your ears to his word and to change your heart. And I don't have a little switch to flip that's like. Cease to be bitter. If I had a cease to be bitter switch, pastoral ministry would be so much easier. Life would be so much easier. I would be a much nicer person. There's just, it would be a really helpful switch. I don't have that. But what I can tell you is that God's gracious. And I can say, if, if you can identify with this verse 9 thing, then I want to give you two things to do. One thing to do right now and one thing to do later. The thing to do right now is just in your heart right now to be honest with God. And just say to God... I have been bitter. My heart has grown hard. I have not been listening to your word. I've allowed my anger and frustration and pain to fester so that I have a heart of unbelief. And just tell God, forgive me and help me and just plead with him to change your heart. And I I can't guarantee that there's going to be some immediate emotional change. Maybe there will be. Maybe there won't be. But here's what I can guarantee. God will hear your prayer and he will be gracious to you. And if you confess your sins and your need for him, he'll be gracious to you. That's what he did to Moses. Moses' prayer was literally, God, why did you do evil to this people? You haven't kept your promise. And God responds with grace, 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 grace. If you come to God and just confess the situation and ask for his help and keep confessing it and keep asking for his help. He will help you. But the second thing I want to ask you to do is do not try to deal with this bitterness and frustration alone. When you leave here, not only do you need to keep doing the vertical work with God, you need to do the horizontal work with other people. There may be somebody that you need to forgive. There may be somebody. There's probably somebody you need to go ask for forgiveness. There. There may be somebody, a friend that you need to just ask to pray for you. And if you're kind of dreading because you don't want your friend to do the thing where they start gushing advice that's going to be annoying to you. Just tell them, I don't need advice, but would you pray for me? Would you just pray that God will change my heart? It may be that you need to go, though, to a mentor or a pastor to get counsel, to get some help processing this. Do not allow bitterness to rob you from the healing grace that God wants to bring into your life. Then look at verse 12. The people of Israel 
are not hearing the word of God well today. But also Moses is not hearing the word of God. After all this encouragement from God, look what Moses says in verse 12. But Moses said to the Lord, after God says something, if the conjunction is but, that's usually not a good sign. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. You see, he got discouraged because even the own people, his own people, the people of Israel, the people of God don't listen to him. That's the ripple effect of discouragement. Maybe this is just a moment to pause and give you a reminder. When we come together as Christians on Sunday morning in a growth group in a one on one discipleship meeting, if you're just hanging out with friends in Christian fellowship, we never come only to give or only to receive. We always come for both. So I just want to remind you this morning, God wants to encourage you. He wants to speak to your heart, but also he wants to minister through you to other people. But if. Our hearts are bitter and discouraged. We're not going to be able to do that. Not only that, we're probably going to have a discouraging effect on others. Maybe this would be a good moment for you just to ask the Holy Spirit to help you assess. How encouraging or discouraging have I been for my sisters and brothers recently? You see, Moses, the people were discouraged, so now they're discouraging. And now they discourage Moses, and now Moses is discouraged. And it's just a ripple effect of discouragement. Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am a man of uncircumcised lips, which is a way of saying I'm a sinner and I'm not a good speaker. The same things Moses has been saying. Now, here's what I want to say to you about Moses. Moses is going to grow in spiritual maturity. By, by the end of the book of Exodus and on into the, the stories we read in Numbers and Deuteronomy, Moses is going to emerge as one of the most mature and godly and holy spiritual leaders in the Bible. But right now he's struggling and he's struggling with something that I think maybe all of us struggle with a little bit. But some of us in here struggle with a lot. Namely, Moses is struggling with a kind of self-doubt, which is not humility. It's actually unbelief. Moses is struggling with a kind of self-doubt, which is not humility. It's unbelief. Now, I do not want any of us to be self-reliant in an arrogant way. All of us need to recognize we need God. We need forgiveness. We need grace. We need Jesus Christ. And we need each other. Right? So everybody say, I need God. Now turn to your neighbor and say, I need you. So we're not trying to be self-reliant. We're all needy. We all need grace. But being humble... Is not the same thing as thinking that you are worthless. Being humble is definitely not the same thing as thinking that you are disqualified to do the very thing that God commanded you to do. With boldness and with confidence. You see, it's true that you're a sinner, but it's also true you're made in the image of God and you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And God has uniquely prepared you for things that he wants you to do. So... The, the thing that Moses is going to have to learn and that some of us really need to learn today is this. Trusting in the Lord includes trusting in God's preparation of you to do the thing he's called you to do. Let me say that again. Trusting in God includes trusting in God's preparation of you. To do the thing he's called you to do. Moses has been uniquely equipped by God for this mission. God has promised 
to go with Moses. God has given Moses helpers. God has given Moses signs. God's going to do miracles through Moses. But Moses is still continuing in unbelief, saying, no, no, no. His excuse for disobedience is a false humility. And for some of us here that have internalized a lot of negative stuff that we experienced early on in life or have internalized the voice of the accuser, Satan, in our life. We just need to hear, friends, it's true that you struggle with sin, but God's grace is sufficient for you. If you've trusted in Christ, you're already forgiven. Every sin that you've committed has already been paid for on the cross of Jesus. There is no condemnation for you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, Psalm 139. You're a reflection of the image of God, Genesis 1. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. You're God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared for you. Ephesians 2, 10. And trusting God involves trusting God's preparation of you to do the work he called you to do. So two negative examples of hearing the word of God that we're going to learn from to try and do the opposite. And now we're about to switch from discouragement to grace. It's all about grace from here on out in the sermon. Everybody say amazing grace. grace. In verses one through eight, God speaks words of encouragement and life and hope to his discouraged people that they needed to hear and that we need to hear today. I'm going to help us dig into this text by kind of breaking it down into about four points. Here's point number one. Word of encouragement number one from God. Here's the word, saints. We need to hear it today. God's purpose To defeat evil and set his people free does not waver with our emotions or our circumstances. God's purpose to defeat evil and set his people free does not waver with our emotions or our circumstances. There's good days and bad days in the Christian life. In the journey of discipleship as we follow Jesus, there's highs and lows, encouraging times, discouraging times. Times where we're walking in faith and times where we're struggling with unbelief. But God's purpose does not waver. Look what God says in verse 1. Let's remember what this is a response to. At the end of chapter 5, Moses said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. That was Moses' prayer. How does God respond? Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of the land. Skip down to verse 6. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. God is saying, Moses, your faith is wavering. Your emotions are wavering. Your circumstances are going up and down, but my purpose is steadfast. Let's come back to those of you who came to church like Moses today. You came to church with a bad attitude, but at least you brought it to God. Here's some gospel good news for you. You may have a bad attitude, but Jesus is still going to heal the whole world. You may have a bad attitude, but Jesus is still going to save and sanctify you. You may be coming today mad at God, mad at yourself, mad at your friends, but Jesus is actually going to unite 
and glorify his church. He's going to work through us to accomplish his purposes. One day Jesus will return in glory to judge the living and the dead. Not only will Pharaoh be defeated, but death itself will be defeated. Satan will be cast into a lake of fire. There's going to be a new creation. And from every tribe and tongue and nation, billions of glorified saints are going to join with angels singing, worthy is the lamb. And your bad attitude today can do nothing to stop that. That's good news. Others of us got a good attitude, but our circumstances are terrible. And you're just going through marriage problems. You're going through family difficulties. You've got financial problems. Ministry's been hard. Like Moses, we expect ministry fruit to be quick and easy. And like Moses, we learn that it almost never is. It's like a mustard seed that starts small and grows down, down, down before it comes up. And you got discouraged, and I just want to say to you, friends, there's going to come a day, five billion years from now, where you and I are going to look back together and say, you know what? My circumstances were hard, but the purpose of God and his steadfast love never wavered. Encouraging word number two from God today. God says, I am Yahweh. I am who I am. Look with me at verses 2 and 3. Again, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. You might circle that word Lord, which appears five times in our text today. That's the word Yahweh. Everybody say Yahweh. The text continues, I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. That's El Shaddai, which means exactly what the translation says. It means God Almighty. But my name, the Lord, Yahweh, by my name, the Lord, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. And then the name keeps getting mentioned in verse 6. It comes up again. I am Yahweh, and I will bring you from your burdens. And then down in verse 7. I am Yahweh, your God. And then again in verse 8. God finishes this speech by saying, I am Yahweh. He's trying to drive the point home. Now, If you were here several weeks ago, you remember, we spent some time talking about what this means. The name Yahweh means he who is or he who will be. And in Exodus chapter 3, God says to the people of Israel, you're going to call me Yahweh, he who is, because I am who I am. In fact, he said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So if you want to know what God means by revealing this name, then you need to remember that God calls himself. I am who I am. So everybody say the great I am. Again, we spent some time on this a few weeks ago, but let me just remind you, because God saw fit to remind us in the text today. When God says, I am who I am, and when he teaches us to call him Yahweh, he who is, here's what God is saying. God is saying, I am the self-existent, self-sufficient, independent, unchanging source of all power, all life, all energy, all joy, all being, all truth, all beauty. I am inexhaustible. When I give power to others, my power does not diminish. When I give life to others, my life does not diminish. When I give energy and joy and peace to others, I am in no way diminished because I am who I am. Everything else that exists, including Pharaoh, exists because God himself wills for it to exist. But God depends upon nothing for his existence and his life. They are 
eternal. He is an infinite ocean of being. Everything that lives and moves, lives and moves and has its being in God. He is, I am who I am. In other words, God is saying to Moses, Pharaoh may be a problem for you, but Pharaoh is not a problem for me. Pharaoh exists because God is the great I am. Moses exists because God is the great I am. When we talked about this a few weeks ago, I, I just said, let's pause for a second. Everybody breathe in. That breath came from God. The air came from God. The lungs that you breathe it with came from God. The chest that the lungs are inside of came from God. The head above the chest came from God. And everything came from God. That's what I'm trying to say. Everything else is radically dependent and contingent. But God's resources are inexhaustible. This is really good news for Christians. It's really good news. Jesus says something radical in John 8 that I want you to think about today. In John 8, Jesus is in an argument with some religious leaders who are getting mad at Jesus because he's making some claims about himself that they find presumptuous. And in the course of this argument, they say things to him like, are you greater than our father Abraham? You're not yet 50 years old. And have you met our father Abraham? Who do you think you are? Who are you claiming to be? And in response to these questions and accusations, Jesus says something profound. John eight fifty eight. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Do you hear what Jesus said there? If anybody besides Jesus says this, it's blasphemy. Because Jesus is saying the infinite, inexhaustible, unchanging, eternal, necessary fountain of being is standing right here in human flesh in front of you. That's why I'm greater than Abraham. That's why I'm greater than Moses. That's why I speak with unflinching authority. Because I am who I am. Now they understood his claim and didn't believe it. So they picked up stones to try and kill him for his blasphemy. But he walked out unscathed because you can't kill I am who I am until he wants you to. It's good news for us because this means life itself clothed himself with human weakness to die so that death wouldn't have to be the end of the story for us. It's good news for us because it means the only one who could possibly save us from our sins did. It's good news for us because it means that when Jesus promises, I'll be with you to the end of the age, what he's saying, Christian, is whatever you're going through today or this week, inexhaustible power and life and love and joy is present with you fighting for you. So don't get discouraged. Your problems may be big for you, but they're not too big for Jesus. Next point. God makes here. Next word of encouragement. Another reminder. Pretty much everything in this text is stuff God's already said three times in Exodus. It's a little point here. Sometimes it's not that we need information. We just need to believe what God already said. Here's the reminder, though. God says, I am the covenant keeping God who hears the groans of his people. I am the covenant God who hears the groans of his people. This comes from verses four through five. I also established my covenant. You might want to underline that word. Everybody say covenant. It's been one of our key words throughout the book of Exodus. We've talked about it a lot of times. Let's just briefly remind ourselves that a covenant is a binding relationship based on promises. A binding relationship based on promises. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, 
who died for your sins and rose again, then the word of God teaches you have been grafted into God's covenant community. Now you're in, which means God has bound you to himself and God has bound himself to you. That's the covenant. And he's made promises He set his love steadfastly on his covenant children, and he's made promises which he will surely fulfill. So everybody say it again. Say covenant. But God says here, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, And I have remembered my covenant. He says, I have heard their groaning. I have remembered my covenant. If you've been with us throughout this journey in Exodus, that sounds familiar. I have heard their groaning. I have remembered my covenant. I have heard their groaning. What is God saying? God is saying to us, to all of us here. Listen, maybe nobody else can understand your pain. Maybe you don't even understand your pain. Maybe you don't have words to express what you feel. Your struggle, maybe all you have is a groan, but I've heard your groaning. And I understand your pain in a way that even you don't. And I love you, and I care, and I'm about to act to redeem you. That's what he's saying. When he says, I remember my covenant, basically what he's saying, if I promise to give the people the land of Canaan, they're going to get it. They're going to get it. As this word has come up throughout the book of Exodus... I've tried to drive a point home to you today that I'm going to try and drive home again. If you want to be a mature Christian who has joy and hope and who's able to serve others with gladness, who can speak life to others even in hard times, then you need to understand the doctrine of the covenant and you need to have specific promises of God hidden in your heart, that you can cling to. If you have specific promises of God, memorized, hidden in your heart, and you trust them, you train your brain and your soul, day after day, to hold fast to this promise of God, it'll give you spiritual strength, like you couldn't imagine. When I talked to you about this last time, I started mentioning some of the promises we have in Jesus Christ. Like John 6, 44, where Jesus says, for this is the will of my father, that whoever looks at the son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. How's that for a promise? All you got to do is look at Jesus and believe in him. Your sins are forgiven. You will have eternal life. You will rise again to inherit the new creation. That's not some pastor's speculation. That is the invincible word of Jesus Christ. Some person here who's struggling with condemnation because of your sin. That Jesus did not promise if you get your act together, you might go to heaven one day. Jesus said, if you look at the son and believe in him, just look at Jesus and believe in him right now. And you have eternal life. The promises of God don't fail. Or Matthew 28, 20, we quoted, I am with you always. Jesus will walk with you. I remember a few weeks ago saying to you, you will never be in a hospital waiting room or a nursing home alone. You will never go to a funeral home, a funeral alone. Jesus is always with you. I got to tell you guys a story. Let me see if I can hold it together. My grandmother passed away recently. So I think I've cried out all my tears, but. If it start crying again, I'm probably just going to awkwardly run away and let Chauncey finish the sermon. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Um, so we did Grandma Betty's funeral on Wednesday. Some of you all know her. She came to Christ Community Church for a few years before her health got to a point where she couldn't make it on Sunday mornings. 
But Wednesday, less than 48 hours, Wednesday a couple weeks ago, less than 48 hours before she passed, uh, God gave me the gift of spending a couple precious hours with her. And for part of that, had my kids with me, but for part of it was just me and her. And I got her Bible off the shelf and we read together. One of the things we read was Psalm 23. Grandma was 90 years old. And we pause to reflect on verse 4. Which says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. And we just talked about the fact that if you have a relationship with Jesus, he walks with you through everything. You're never going to have a bad day alone with Jesus. If you have a relationship with him, he's going to be with you. He's going to be with you. And I just had a real honest conversation. Grandma knew she was near death. I said, this is the good part about trusting in Jesus. We can trust him. And we can know not only is he, going to, is he going to walk with us through all of life, but he's going to walk through us through walk with us through the very hour of our dying. And he will take us through the valley of the shadow of death to the glory on the other side. And as I began to say these things, my grandma just began to testify. She was at a point where she was so weak that she wasn't able to talk often. She'd kind of go in and out of being able to converse, but she just perked up and she started saying, Jesus has never left me. And she told me again her testimony of when she was eight years old, how she went to a little church and heard the gospel that Jesus died on the cross for her sins and rose again and trusted in Jesus and was baptized. And she said, now, 82 years later, Jesus has never left me. And she knew she was hours from death. But she had joy and she had peace and she had hope in that moment. And she was actually overflowing encouragement to others, to me and to my kids. She'd been preaching to me the last couple of weeks. John Mark, God loves you. God loves you, she's been telling me. Why could she do that? Because verse 4 in her Bible was marked up. And Matthew twenty-eight twenty was one of her favorite verses. And she had based her whole life on believing The promises of God. So now in this hour, there's a strength. There's a strength that comes from trusting in the God of the covenant. It's real. I want it for myself and I want it for you. I'm about to wrap up, but let me give you one more point here. We've said God's purpose to defeat evil and deliver his people does not waver with our emotions or our circumstances. We've said God is Yahweh. I am who I am. We've said God is the covenant keeping God who hears the groans of his people. Final point here. God says to the people that he will give them freedom, a home and a personal relationship with himself. I don't have much time to elaborate on verses seven and eight, but that's where this comes from. Let's look at it real quick. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. That's talking about a personal relationship. A personal relationship with God. He can be our God. We can be his people. We cannot just say the Lord is God. We can say the Lord is my God and I have known him and he's my king and he's my friend. It's about relationship. The text continues. I will bring you. uh, Actually, let me back up. I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. That's freedom. That's liberation. And then he says, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob I will give it to you for a possession. That's a home. 
Now, those were sweet promises to the people of Israel at that time, but they're even sweeter for us in Jesus Christ. Because the home we're looking for is not a temporary home that we're going to live in for a few years till we die. We're looking for a heavenly city that will never fade. And we're talking about seeing in person our Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we're talking about the freedom that comes from believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. If Jesus has set you free, you are free Indeed, these are encouraging words, friends, and I just want to end by very personally appealing to you, each of you, followers of Jesus, friends, family, struggling saints, people of God, please just trust his word of grace. Just trust his word of grace. Don't harden your heart. Don't listen to the accusations of the enemy or of your flesh or of the world. Just trust his word of grace. Our circumstances may change, but the character and nature of God do not change. The promises of God have never failed and never will. We have a deeper revelation of God's love and power than these folks did because we've seen Jesus Christ. We've read about him. We know about his death and resurrection. Neither our failures, nor our wounds, nor our circumstances can hinder the purposes of God to make all things new. And the Bible tells us that in Christ, our labors are not in vain. All the toil, all on the adventure of obedience, when we're trying to obey God and do good works, even during the bad days, God is not wasting our labor. He's going to bring good out of it. When we trust God's word of grace, we receive encouragement which makes us able to encourage others. When we resist God's word of grace, we're hurting ourselves and hindering our ability to bless others. So I want to give you something tangible to do, which is namely the thing that we do every week after we hear the proclamation of God's word. As we go to the Lord's Supper, this is the Christian's renewal of vows. It's the sign of our ongoing covenant relationship. And scripture teaches us to think of Jesus both as the host and the meal. He's the one saying, come to my table, sit with me. It doesn't cost anything. Sinners come. Weary people come. People like Moses who are struggling with doubt and unbelief come. All you got to do is open your hand and I'm going to give you what? Myself. I will be your life. I will be your sufficiency. I'll be your forgiveness. I just want to give you a tangible act, whether your heart is full and you just want to worship God or whether you're saying like Moses, I believe, help my unbelief. You can express that faith in a tangible way just by standing up and going to take the Lord's Supper. And as we do it, we're just coming with open hands saying, Jesus, you're enough for me. Jesus, you're enough for me. Let's bow your head. Let's bow our heads together and let's pray. Our Lord, I thank you for this word. Your grace is sufficient. Even when we forget that. Thank you for this word. And I pray that you would help us to remember. Lord, if our self-doubt has hindered us from trusting your promise, just overcome that today. If we've been hurt and then we've responded in sinful ways to our hurt, please help us. Show us the way out today. Set us free. For everyone who's tired, give us new energy in life. Lord, for all of us, just help us to trust in Jesus. That's my prayer. Anything in us that would hinder that, please remove it by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.